Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks for tuning in. This week on the pod, we're going to be breaking down the best albums of 2021, the top 10 albums of 2021. Now, that's the top 10 according to three different people. Plus, I'm going to talk about everybody on social media that chimed in with their opinions. So we're going to cover a lot of records here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Before we go any further, I do want to say that the Berman Hour is a fan-supported and listener-supported podcast. There is a link at the bottom of the podcast description where you can donate to the podcast to help me cover production costs. It is also helpful if you rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast, regardless of what platform you are listening to us on. And also, I am still pushing a new Divided Heaven record. It's called Oblivion. It comes out in February. Go to DividedHeaven.com and you'll see the links for the pre-order for Europe and North America, respectively. How about that? Let's get it. Okay, so every year for the past 21 years, my friend Paul and I have been breaking down and ranking our top 10 records of the year. We've been doing this every year. We have not missed a year. A few years into this, our friend Rich joined. We all met at American University in Washington, D.C. in the early 2000s, and we enjoy doing this every year. We do it in person when we can. We do it on Zoom when that's what we have to do, which is what we had to do this year. But it's always a lot of fun to go through the records, to reminisce, to talk shit, of course. (laughs) But before we get into that interview, I posted on all my social media platforms For people to share their favorite records of the year. And I can safely say that 2021 was the year of Turnstile and The Killers. To a lesser extent, if there was a bronze medal here, I think it would go to the Dirty Nil. Those were the most resounding and popular answers. A lot of people also like the new face-to-face record. A lot of people like more on drugs record. The Turnstile and the Killers were the ones that everybody seemed to gravitate to. And it seemed as if people were either in the Turnstile camp or the Killers camp. And, you know, I'm curious of your thoughts. You know, hit me up. Send me an email. Hour at gmail.com. Let me know what other records, in case you didn't see my posts or you didn't, whatever. Just send me an email. I'm curious. I want to listen to some more good music this year. There certainly was no shortage of it, right? It was a great year for new music. Thankfully, not everything was so much about the pandemic or being in quarantine. I think I can say that that was a fear for everybody, that we were just going to get bombarded with records that were about even more depressing shit than what we just lived through in the last couple of years. But some great records out there. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with my friends Rich and Paul as we break down our respective top 10 records of the year. An Easter egg at the end, I got to say, the way that it shakes out with our respective number ones was, well, it's just, it's captivating. It's uh, incredible. And uh, no one saw it coming, really. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the Berman Hour podcast. And thank you for supporting Divided Heaven, which I might add the new Divided Heaven record, Oblivion. It's coming out in February. That's going to be the number one record of 2022. I mean, we already know it. It's a done deal. No one can touch me. It's all good. Right? Right. No, I'm not that narcissistic. But if it doesn't end up on at least a handful of lists 
at the end of the year next year, I'm going to fucking kill somebody. How about that? Enjoy the podcast, everyone. Cheers. Let's talk real quick about how long we've been doing this before we get into the list. Good question. So, Paul and I, you started doing this with me, I want to say it was 2000, our first year of yeah, college. I your record of the year was the Dillinger 4s versus God. And I believe my record of the year was at the drive-ins relationship of command. Cursing like sweethearts. Yeah, I think that's right. But I think I retroactively went back and changed mine to Warning by Green Day. Which is not allowed. It, it's not allowed, but it does yeah. serve as a good introduction to Rich Canino, who started doing this list with us in 2002, 2003. Four. 2004, 2004. When, when Arcade Fire very narrowly beat Green Day for the number one record. Was so that their was first record or was that Neon Bible? That was, it was their first, it was Funeral versus American Idiot. And I remember okay. in the car on December 31st being like, all right, Arcade Fire, that's where we're going. Nice. I remember I Rich say- had like graduated to like, I listen to a lot of new music now, ready to do the list. Yeah, it's yeah, worth noting. Previously, I had just been listening to like Huey Lewis and like the Gin Blossoms. <laughs> Which isn't all that different from what you're listening to now. <laughs> I was telling Cade a story the other day of how I locked myself out of the Brandywine house. For those in the back that don't know, the Brandywine house was a house where all three of us lived at, together at separate times and not together at separate times in Washington, D.C. And uh, I would often lock myself out of the house for whatever reason. And I couldn't get in. And I was standing underneath Richie's bedroom window, which was open, and I could hear that he was listening to Neil Diamond. And it was just this pure, unabashed vocal delivery from Rich that was just like, ah. you know, it's like when you catch someone in the moment of, of Zen when they're singing a song they love. And I was waiting for the right time to kind of yell, hey, Rich, you know, let me in. And all of a sudden I heard, turn on your hot lights. <laughs> Da, 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 da. and i was like i can't interrupt so i waited no, until you, this time you had to just get in the 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 way to get in when it was locked is you had to get in through the the kitchen window over the the kitchen sink so you would yes. fall into the kitchen into the sink which usually was just full of disgusting dishes yeah it was it was treacherous all right so there's history established we've all been friends for upwards of 20 years or 20 years plus and we've been doing this list for almost as long and it's normally like a three and a half hour ordeal we've done it on new year's eve we've done it on uh, super bowl sunday we've done it uh for the entertainment of our partners we've done it to the uh uh dismay of our partners because it'll take all day so we're gonna try to keep it brief we're not doing honorable mentions we're not doing eps or any of that bullshit we're diving in the top 10 records of the year rich canino paul cavallari jeff berman and Rich, let's start with you. What was your number 10 record of 2021? My number 10 record uh, was from Vivian Leva and Riley Calgano. Uh, self-titled, both names. Uh, it's a folk record. I can see the look of utter dismay uh, <laughs> from one of our attendees. Um, it is a folk <laughs> record from... Uh, a woman from Lexington, Virginia, for those that don't know, in the lovely Shenandoah Valley uh, here in the Beltway. Um, it's a folk record that sounds like 
it would have been made in the 1950s, but with some modern flourishes that make it sound like it's not from the 1950s. Uh, just a very fun and interesting record. Uh, not usually what it would be on my list, but it just kind of grabbed me this year. Yeah, for those at home, Richie is usually the one that will find the most obscure records and say, it's on my list. What's the name of it again? <laughs> Vivian Leva and Riley Caglano. And it's the point that they couldn't come up with a better album name. Cagnano, yeah. Well, you know, it, it it's it's worth noting that when we do these lists, it's full of a lot of shit talking, for sure. So I'm going to cast the first stone and just say, Richie, what? <laughs> All right, Paul, hit us with your number seven. Up, Jeff. No, no, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad we're completely on brand this morning, and, and I am as well, because my tendency is to, in the 20 years that we've been doing this, uh, my my taste has not changed at all for the better or more interesting. Um, so my number 10 is The Cloud Nothings, The Shadow I Remember. Uh, I think that this band is one of the best bands around these days. And they never put out a bad record. I think all of their records have been on my list. And that's a lot of them. This is not my favorite of their records at all. But it is... Uh, it is good. It's very good. The drumming on it is phenomenal. Uh, they put out a bunch of stuff over the pandemic in kind of interesting ways, uh, different styles. They had a subscription thing going on. So they're kind of doing really interesting things. And if you have a chance to see this band live, you should absolutely do it. So that's my number 10. Nice. Nice. My number 10 is a band from San Jose, friends of mine. And they're a family band, the Moore family band. And that's M-O-O-R-E. Uh, Randy is a friend of mine. He actually plays on my new record. But their new record was very, very good. And uh, it's it's a cute story. You know, uh, Dylan, the drummer, is the middle brother. Randy's the eldest. He's the main songwriter and guitarist and a shredder at that. And then they had their baby sister, Missy, as the singer. And it's just, it's it's charming without being too cutesy. It's, uh, it's uh, catchy without being too, we're trying to be Jeff Rosenstock or Weezer. You know, it's like a good, a good balance. But I think this was put out on Asian Man Records, so it, it kind of fits that mold pretty well. But yeah, the more family band. I believe the, the record's self-titled. That's my number 10. I was hoping it was a multi-generational family band. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I asked him, uh, Randy, recently, I said, are you going to have your dad on the on the next record? And he said, I think so. Yeah, yeah. everybody everybody in the family's reaction to the, the siblings doing this was that they were disappointed that dad wasn't on it. And I think I, I think dad was bummed. I'm going to interview dad more at some point on this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. Yes. So <laughs> shout out Randy. But yeah, the more family band is my number 10. Cool. All right. My number nine is from Gillette Johnson. The name of the record is It's a Beautiful Day and I Love You. Uh, one of the big winners in the pandemic for me are a lot of records that uh, <laughs> are optimistic and sunny and feel good. And this certainly is uh, is on brand for that. Uh, a lot of kind of simple songs about 
love and relationships um, with someone who has a really great voice. Um, yeah, that's how I'll leave it with that. Gillette Johnson. Nice. Nice. Did you guys right. find that uh, this year, I mean, we'll hear it on your list, but did you encounter a lot of quote-unquote pandemic records? Like records that were written during the time, obviously, but about the pandemic? Because I, I thought that this year and next year we're going to be just flooded with them. And maybe I'm speaking too soon and we will encounter that. But I didn't really encounter a whole lot that was about the pandemic. Did y'all? I think that's coming next year. Okay. Maybe. Uh, there were there are a number of records I listened to this year where it was kind of like, oh, we holed up in our apartment and did this ourselves. Or we, we were, yeah, kind of in isolation. But the themes are not necessarily there. But I think that's still yeah, that's still coming. Um, Great. I remember, <laughs> I remember when we did this list in 2019, Jeff was so serious about Everything that comes out in 2020 is going to be a political record. Everything is going to have a, a political theme to it. Like nothing is going to change that at all. And it was like, okay. <laughs> oh. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out all these creative artistic types are actually just secret fucking right wing <laughs> Trumpers who like to, you know, storm the Capitol every January 6th like a bunch of fucking assholes. But no, I yeah, think we're right. Yeah. I think we're we're gonna we're gonna make predictions again. And I think I think that that. Yeah, 2022 could be. Let's relive the pandemic in 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 art. Yeah, well, just yeah, but just give me this these few seconds to just fume about. Please, how, how all no. these artists, you know, yeah. Just, yeah, you're afraid to sing about Trump. Yeah, you're afraid to sing about the rise of fascism. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, keep singing about your home or your Williamsburg. Metro stop or get the fuck. All right, I'm I'm done. Okay, my mine uh, uh, number. Uh, <laughs> wait, Paul, what's your number nine? I'm sorry. Yeah, see, I, I not only was there a rant, but I just got misplaced there. Uh, yeah, I would think that, that singing about Trump may even be profitable still, uh, but people don't want to do it, I guess. Uh, number nine, uh, I went with the Deaf Heaven record, Infinite Granite, which has been covered exclusively by more intelligent music critics than myself. Um, but this was a complete sound change for this band. Um, How so? Well, there, there are other four or five records are, are kind of black metal records. Uh, and this record kind of sounds like Tears for Fears <laughs> <laughs> with, with maybe like Davey Havoc involved. Uh, and... Uh, and there still are a couple of really kind of sweet screamy parts. But most of the vocals are clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and this band was always, this isn't something I have a lot of authority to speak on, but always kind of a black sheep in the metal community. And yeah. people have strong opinions about this band. And I think that, that doing something like this just kind of took that conversation almost away and like, Oh, we can't even like, it's not even worth having that, that conversation anymore. Let's just <laughs> listen to these records. Um, the record's cool. It has a lot of really interesting parts. Uh, I think I like the, if I was going to sit down and listen to a deaf heaven record, I would probably listen to one of the older ones before this one, but it certainly has a place and um, definitely a, a risky kind of thing to do. And, but this band uh, clearly doesn't care about, what other people are saying or alienating anyone. So 
very cool record. Um, neat to see a band kind of take take those chances. Nice. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. My number nine was a record that I think both of you probably have not heard. And I think both of you would genuinely like a lot. The artist is Hanalei. The record is called Black Snow. And the artist's government's name is Brian Moss, who was in a band called The Wonder Years, not the current pop punk iteration with that name. Uh, but the Bay Area band, he was in, um, I think he was in a band called The Ghost. That was a Chicago band. But was he's, the Wonder uh, Years on No Idea? No. That No, no. Idea? No. This is what well, it sound from... like holler music or no? I'm thinking no, this is like no. late okay. 90s, yeah, Bay stuff. But uh, label made of mine, he's on AF Records, and he's his earlier records were kind of postal service esque. And he hasn't he hadn't done a proper Hanalei record in I think 12 years or something. Um, Great Apes was the other band that he was a part of who were probably the most well known. They did a few tours with the Larry Arms and, and such. Uh, but Brian Moss is a great songwriter, and this record really took on a angle of um, apocalyptic environmental issues. Um, coincidentally, he had written a pretty poignant song about a pandemic before this pandemic took hold. And uh, that said, if you dive into the lyrics, I found that it's, it's kind of low on my list because it can be difficult to listen to them- thematically. But it is a, a excellent and unique singer songwriter record. So Hanalei Black Snow is my number nine. So moving on, Rich number eight. Okay, what's your uh, great my, number eight? My number eight is part of a number of bands who have done music that I like and did records that are sort of in my wheelhouse. Sort of taking from Paul. Uh, my number eight is from a band called Lake Street Dive. The record is obviously sounds a lot like every other Lake Street Dive uh, record, but done well. And the lead singer, uh, what was her name? The lead singer of the band still has one of the best voices <laughs> you'll, you'll get in music. I have it in my notes. Rachel, Rachel Pine. I can't read my own handwriting, but yes, I mean, she can read the phone book for all I care. Um, but yes, that's the that's the cell for Lake Street Dive number eight. Lake Street Dive, nice, nice, good band. I, Richie, you seem like because we're on camera and we're recording, you seem a little bit more timid. You're not cutting loose like you normally are. I, must I didn't be know reserved. what the rules were, so I thought I'd just try and keep. Yeah, normally, you would have read something far more graphic. <laughs> <laughs> we're on to you. All right, Paul, hit us with your number eight. <laughs> I think I think we're gonna finish in, in record time because uh I don't actually have anything knowledgeable to say about any of these things. So it's just like, oh if I just cut out all my normal bullshit. Uh and this one especially I, I don't can't really speak intelligently at all about the current state of hip hop, but there was a lot of uh good hip hop and rap records that came out this year. The Tyler the Creator record was cool, the Arm and Hammer record was cool. Uh, Rich, I think there were like eight to to twelve, um, maybe twenty five Griselda records. Uh, that, they, that yes, I every other weekend they had a new album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, your old Droog probably had like nineteen records, also, which is uh, phenomenal. And, and I would have led you to believe that I listened to them, and then you would have to listen to them and put them on your list. Uh, but the only the only hip hop record on my list is uh, in in 
he's probably the the artist that makes the most appearances on my historical list is Aesop Rock put out a record this year with a producer named Blockhead who did a lot of his early records. Um, so this is kind of going back to late 90s, early 2000s, very kind of strange beats. Um, I, I think it's it's pretty phenomenal um, and and certainly worth a listen, Rich. You would, you would probably like it. Um, but there's some weird stuff on it. Very, but it came out only a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't had a lot of time with it yet, but... I think uh, I think it definitely deserves to be on the list. It will probably move around if I had had more time, but we'll see. That's my number eight. We'll see. Nice. My number eight is Dave Haas, Blood Harmony. This is ah. his fifth record, and it is arguably his best. I, I tend to think that each of his records is better than the previous, so he's always kind of topping himself. Production on this is definitely more Americana. I saw that it charted on some country charts in europe really i don't even, I don't even know how you <laughs> i don't know the metrics for being on a country chart in another continent but he did it <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah this this record is definitely more softer around the edges it seems to have uh he seems to have shed his the, the punk aspect of the last couple records which is a, a welcome uh, you know a, a welcome new uh, hue for a dave haas record so does, I stand does he by have this. a regular band, or does he have like different bands that he kind of brings? Uh, I think about this a lot with with your records. Is like, what if you had different iterations of the backing band? Uh, he seems to have a couple of different. Yeah, on um, this record, he had session guys who have name recognition and name value in Nashville, but I uh, don't know who they are, and I don't have those names in front of me. But predominantly, the the Dave Haas records now the last three at least have been predominantly him and his brother tim who's a great singer and a great songwriter in his own right and then i think when they tour they have a cadre of people they pull from and then when they're in the studio they have a cadre you know it's that's the the way it is it's it's similar to what i do but he he has the the benefit of having that that uh literal blood harmony with his brother so great record yeah no it's it's cool And, and dave haas uh and Rich are, are two of the most famous, huge fans of the Gin Blossom is willing to to announce <laughs> that loudly and publicly. So a kindred spirit, Richie. Well, now I have to now I have to get. <coughs> yeah, he name drops "Hey Jealousy" in the single for this record. Oh, you Paul, you sent me that. You sent me that yeah. song. Yep. <laughs> Sandy Sheets. Yeah. All right. Good Richie, song. what is what is your number seven? All right. My number seven is from uh, a woman named Yola. Stand for Myself is the record. She's from uh, Bristol, England. She had some, I guess, minor co- controversy. She's uh, African-American and had done a country record previously. And there was... Controversy around the record being, well, this isn't really country, so stop calling yourself that. Um, I think what similar to what uh, Paul had said, she kind of did a new record that's much more um, soul inspired this time, and kind of took that conversation out of the out of the mix. Um, but just a very confident sounding record, still kind of has that kind of country flair that I like. Um, I'll credit Anne to twang. the one. T- Country Twang. Country Twang recommending. Anne had recommended this one to me and it's been a, been a grower on my list. So, Yola. 
Yoda. That sounds awesome. I'm going to check that out for sure. Paul, what's your number seven? Number seven. <clears throat> this band was on my list in, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago. And then last year they put out a record that a lot of people really didn't like. And I was pretty neutral on. I thought it was formulaic and and seemed a bit paint by numbers, um, which was kind of the, the major claim against it uh, for a lot of the press. But they came out with a new one this year, which is much more interesting and not it doesn't feel as forced. And that's the Idols record called Crawler. Uh, really unique production on the record. A lot of kind of stripped down songs. This sounds so much better than the last record. And you rarely see a band call one of their records garbage, especially a year after it, it came out. But they've done some interesting press around this new record in saying they just weren't in the right place to release the last record. Uh, this is another band that's incredible live, um, which has been covered all over the place. But uh, Idols Crawler is is a great record. If you're looking for an, uh, an entry point to this band, that Joy is a form of resistance. I can't remember what that record's called, but Joy is a form of resistance or something like that. The one that came out three or four years ago is probably the one that most people get introduced to them with. But this is a, a cool a cool follow up and probably the one they wish they had directly followed up with. Yeah, how do you feel about that when you hear? an artist or you read in an interview that an artist either blatantly trashes a previous record or subtly does it. Yeah. It's like, it's twofold, I guess, where you're like, yeah, I did think this was kind of crappy. It's nice to hear you say that, but then you're kind of like, can I get my 20 bucks back? (laughs) Can I send send this record back to you now that it's kind of like a recall, you know, it's like, Oh, I bought this product, but it might kill me. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of that. I don't know, Jeff, you really like, uh, What's the what's the Duran Duran band uh, that everyone likes? Uh, uh, Mr. <laughs> Brightside. Duran? Mr. Brightside. Oh the, oh, the Killers. Yeah. Right. Didn't they just do that with a record that you liked? They said that they didn't really like it. No. But no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah they no, they did. You're right. Uh, for their and last you record, they, you liked the record that they were trashing. I think. Yeah, they kind of trashed "Wonderful, Wonderful," which was 2017 when they were doing the press for. Their early 2020 record under the moon, and that was an, was that an album of the year for you? It was. It was. An album so how did how did you feel when when your own heroes then took a shit on on your? It pissed uh, me off. It, it pissed me <laughs> off. I want to say that Strike Anywhere had a thread of doing that too. With every new record, it wasn't as if they would shit on their previous records, but they would emphasize the shortcomings that they perceived, and then it would make me think about that, and then. I, but I just I didn't appreciate it. But I, then again, whose fault is it? Them for saying that and having an honest opinion about their music, or me giving enough of a shit about them to read the interview? I could just not pay attention to what they say. Yeah. And it was same, the same with the Killers too. But I feel like there were two Thursday records, like in not their final record, but maybe the two before that, where they did a line of press where they kept on doing interviews. Where like this sounds like Godspeed You Black Emperor, and then. One record came out, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we didn't really like how that one came out." But this new record sounds like Godspeed, Black Emperor, and then it was like, "Oh, okay, you guys did this twice," and then ended up they didn't directly shit on either, but it was clear they weren't all that that happy with them. The other thing that that I think is kind of weird is I've seen a bunch of press this year about 
I think Propagandi re-released that record that they put out in like 2000. Um, the Days Empire Mars. Ashes. Yeah, yeah. So they remastered it, remixed it, and then re-released it. And in the press for that, we're just like, this record deserves so much more. The 2000 version of it was was just impossible to listen to. And when you hear the band that like made that music tell you that the record that you think is like one of the greatest records of all time is impossible to listen to, you're kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's just kind of like finding out that like the chef comes out and it's like, oh, I actually used very rotten food <laughs> you know, when I was preparing your meal, but you seem to really enjoy it. So eh, go see a doctor if you start shitting your pants. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's a weird thing. Like doing press around something that you're not, I, I don't know, but I feel like if you're creative enough and you have such an in tune talent to craft something like a song or let alone a full album or a catalog, you know, a, a, a massive discography, then you have the fucking nuance and adaptability with your vernacular to not shit on your own art and make your fans. But, like but I'm sure everyone does it to a certain that. degree. Like if I'm at one of your shows and I'm screaming some song that you have no interest in playing whatsoever, even if you know how to play it, you're kind of pulling that filter as well. You're not a jukebox. I get it. But yeah, yeah, no, I know. But it's, it's different. If I say, I apologize, I'm not going to play usual Chris suspect versus me saying, Yo, that song fucking sucks. I'm not. And I'm never gonna play it. Yeah. The fact that you like it, you You're like something that I created. <laughs> That's shit. <laughs> yeah. So my number seven comes with an interesting story. I had a bandmate in Divided Heaven. We had a second guitarist named Brian Ashiba for just three months, maybe, in 2017 or early 2018, and Brian somehow ended up connected with a woman who's from the Lancaster area. So the holidays were, uh, excuse me, January, 2020, when we were February, 2020, when we were back closing on this house, Brian happened to be visiting his lady friend here in Lancaster, which is crazy because Brian is Japanese and lived in Japan and lived in LA. And somehow he had shacked up with a woman from Lancaster. So that's cool. So I ran into him and it was kind of like that stage of the relationship where like, they were deciding to go for it long distance, even though they knew it was going to be challenging. Granted, this is 10 days before this pandemic, like totally fucked everything up for everybody. But I never caught up with Brian about like how things were going with the girl, but like they seemed nice. And I was like, Oh, it's a cute story. Like, you know, that's the kind of shit that like could lead to, you know, marriage and life changes and big things and good things. So Brian Ashiba released a record called easy love. It's my number seven. That's, that's the background. But Every song is about this relationship. So I felt, I, I got to tell him this, I wasn't compelled to reach out and be like, hey, whatever happened with that girl? Because it's like spelled out like increment by increment in all of these songs. The songs are great. Uh, he's a great songwriter and he definitely has a little bit of a kind of a dream indie pop element to it. Certainly outside of my normal box, but uh, a welcome addition to my listening this year. So it's called Easy Love by Brian Ishiba. And I'm sorry you guys broke up, Brian. My bad. <laughs> Gave away the ending. <laughs> or maybe. <laughs> me. Maybe that was the catalyst for them getting back to I have no I have not talked to them about this, but I remember thinking to myself, I should reach out and just kind of see how they're doing, you know? Long distance relationships are tough as they are, let alone during a pandemic. But this record answered all of my questions. 
All right, Richie, hit us with your number six. So my number six, um, I think this one's going to make Paul the maddest. Great, uh, I'm ready. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to promise to listen to each other's records this year. But... I pro- I'm, uh, before you say this, I will, will say on the record, I will listen to every one of each of your records again this year, I, which I, really I... put me through a lot of pain last year. But I'm, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go again. <laughs> Double down. My my number six record is the War on Drugs, and you know there's there's like a an eighties vibe to it. There's definitely some like Don Henley Boys of Summer type uh, uh, instrumentation to it. It is a it's such a fun record. Not hard at all. As as far away from Death Heaven as you can get, um, but just. Again, that's another record that puts a smile on your face. And their last song, uh, Occasional Rain, has just this like unbelievable emotional build to to like the chorus in the middle. It's just fantastic. I'm looking right. forward to that record. Now that you vouched for it, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've got about that tickets band. to see them in February. Can't wait. I feel like that guy though, it's like I like his music, but I feel like if I saw him in the coffee shop, I would just look at him and be like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he seems yeah, like a more yeah, stoned like out like, Tweety. There's a lot of planning, that gentleman. He yeah. kind of plans it all. Yeah. He would have already planned that you were going to like come and berate him at the coffee shop. <laughs> he would have, he would have something clever to say. It would be the exact right thing to say, and you would be defeated publicly. Nah, I would just mutter something to myself under my mask. But yeah, <laughs> good call. <laughs> Paul, what's your number six? <laughs> uh, number six. I don't know anything about this band, uh, but I started <laughs> listening to this record. I know nothing about this record. I, I imagine the kids the kids these days really like it. Uh, it's the One Step Closer record, This Place You Know, uh, which uh, I think they're uh, kind of a hardcore band from Wilkes-Barre. Do you say Wilkes-Barre? This is a question I've had for a long time. You could say either. I think I like Barry better. Because at the end of the day, nobody cares. I've been, so that should get me some credit to say it however I want. Um, yeah, me, me too, but still no one cares. But this is a fun, kind of <laughs> <laughs> hardcore ripper. Uh, gets you moving around, wakes you up a little bit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, my number six fits a hardcore punk catchy melodic hardcore lane that a band like rise against would uh be the mayor of said lane but i think this band did it better this year the band is called poor me the record's called stalemate uh full disclosure they are friends of mine but this is the record i've always wanted this band to put out their other records were a little too um, what's the word uh, like whimsical in their melodic hardcore delivery and this one it packs a punch and you know it's a band from the Laramie Wyoming area they now live in Denver and Fort Collins Colorado which is what everybody in that part of the country tends to do they move to <laughs> civilization but uh, <laughs> great record the record's called Stalemate by Poor Me and we're into the top five. So, Rich, hit us. Da da da. Hit us with number five. My number five. Uh, I also have a proud tradition of reintroducing uh, bands that have put records out when I was a kid. 
this continues that tradition. Um, the Wallflowers have oh, a new Jesus. record called <laughs> Exit Wounds. No. Um, <laughs> no. Is it even no. worth playing this record because you're not going to listen to it? No, but here's what I'm, I'm, gonna... I'm listening to it, and now I'm mainly protesting the fact that I'm going to have to spend 45 minutes of my life listening to something that isn't the normal Wallflower song that I've heard a million times. No, it's me... exactly like the old Wallflower songs. It is exactly what you th- you remembered Can from the 90s. Can I just listen to that then? No, nah, nah. Wow. it's no. Nah, that's good to know. That was my question: is if like they're pushing a new vibe, or if they're just kind of reinventing the the only difference slash one headlight vibe. So, what vibe do you think that they could that they could even explore? Like, so oh. they tried to do like they tried to stick their necks out. Of, I'm gonna say maybe like four or five years ago, and like the songs were not catchy. And then, yeah, I listen to it. And so this time they're just like, just shut up and play the hits. And they they just do it. They just do it well. So maybe they should have just released that record again if they were just going to play the hits. <laughs> <laughs> like Street Like uh, Manifesto. Yeah. yeah, that's right. One headlight. Um, number five. Number is that where we are? Five? Yeah. Yeah, number five. Mr. Uh, this Hater. is yeah. so I, I'm new to Chicago and don't know anything about Chicago or the scene here, or I know none of the, the people here. But this band is local and I'd like to think that maybe someday our paths will cross. Uh, this is a band called Kaylee Mossy. And Kali I know Mossy. Kali Mossy. Yeah. See? If I if I knew more about them, I could properly uh pronounce their name the record's called laughs and it's a really interesting record it it, they they do some really cool song structures the songs are extremely catchy they kind of remind me like sparta right that is a really boring band but if sparta was was an interesting band that would be kind of what this sounds like um yeah that's apropos that's that's spot on yeah. Um, yeah. So if you were a good version of yourself, then you would be this. <laughs> I don't know why Sparta is so boring. They have incredible musicians in their band. Like Jim Ward put out a record this year that was way more interesting than any Sparta record has ever been. I, I just don't get it. But I digress. Uh, but this record, this, uh, this, how do I say it, Jeff? Kali Masi. Kali Masi. Is uh, is phenomenal, and Rich, you would even like it. It sounds like late era wallflowers. Like late no, era, you mean twenty twenty wallflowers? <laughs> Maybe I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, Kalamasi's great because they have they tap into that angular nature of the midwestern yeah. emo thing, but they kind of do it better than anybody else because they. Cause they I don't know. I feel like they have don't. You play, have them. you played with them? Yeah, yeah, I played with them. Um, <clears throat> A number of times, actually. And, uh, yeah, nice band and uh, a great record, for sure. Should get them on the pod. That is a good idea. That is get a good idea. Get them on the pod. Uh, my number five is a previous Berman Hour podcast guest. I, I, I have been trying to be more blunt and blatant and provocative with my lyrics with New Divided Heaven stuff to the point where I can make people – a little squeamish or uncomfortable with some of the language that I use or the delivery that I do. And 
I thought I'd do a pretty good job of it. My next pick, my number five, uh, is a guy named Tony. He goes by Broken Field Runner. And his record that came out this year called Field does that way better than I could have. Some of his lyrics are so hauntingly uncomfortable that like you physically have to adjust yourself in the seat when you listen to it. Um, but he just goes for it. And I think that that's his best attribute as, as a songwriter is that lyrically he's fearless. And uh, that's, that's the vibe I, I want. That's, that's the intensity that I want. The record is called Field, and uh, it's Broken Field Runner. He's doing, he did a record called Broken. He did a record called Field. And then next year, uh, I think in just in about a month, uh, Runner will be coming out. But my number five is Broken Field Runner Field. Okay. Richie, your number four. My number four. I'm gonna go on the limb and say these are one of the one of the best bands to see live. Uh, the band could be anything. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, the, the band is Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. The record is the future. Um, they are. I don't even know how you would describe it. Uh, they're kind of a soul band with a lot of uh, a lot of horns. Uh, Brian see- Fallon, but better. That's how you describe Brian Fallon, but better. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, I'll take that. Sorry, um, Mr. Fallon. Interestingly enough, there were a lot of <laughs> records this year from, from musicians that I liked that really tried to change what their sound was and the things that people liked about them. Leon Bridges and Anderson Easter, too, that come to mind, that they had something that they were known for and then did something completely different to the point where it almost sounds un, un uh, listenable. But with Nathaniel Rateliff, they they had the, the sort of vibe that's consistent, but they sound different enough that it doesn't sound like you're listening to, you know, the Wallflowers fifth record. It sounds different. It sounds like they're they're making artistic changes, but not so that it feels like you're listening to, I don't know, like a jazz record or something. So uh, that to me was the the biggest selling point. And, and just as a small little aside, we saw, Ann and I saw them play at a country festival in Columbia, Maryland. All these country people were there to see Willie Nelson and they got their hands on their arms. They don't want to hear anything about this guy. And by the end, he had the entire uh crowd eaten out of his hand it was it was it was i'd never seen that much of a sea change it's nice i can but vouch but for how that was record. willie nelson we didn't stay see that's <laughs> bullshit because you were just like oh all these people are just dicks with nathaniel ratcliffe or whatever his name is and then Wait. you're just like fuck you willie nelson i'm out of here well i had a headache so i oh I didn't yeah i'm sure you did I wanted to, Sturgill Simpson was going to play. I missed him. I really wanted to see him play. But Those who live in glass houses, rich. <laughs> Bullshit. I have a country record on my list, so it's not, I don't know how many of them have uh, a soul record on their list. I'm sure there's somebody else doing a list right now, and they're like, and then there was this dick who just bolted before Willie Nelson. It's you. All right, Paul, hit us with your number four. Uh, Rich, I'm about to blow your mind. I don't like the Eagles. I don't like the Dire Straits. I don't like any of that weird Americana. I don't even like Tom Petty that much. I like the War on Drugs record. 
It's higher Ooh. than on my list. What the? <laughs> wow. I, I am, in fact, so on character that you said when you announced this record that I was going to be irate at you that I would have to listen to it, and I have already listened to it dozens of times. I like it. And it weirds me out. Am I getting soft? The songs are catchy. They're very, very catchy. They get, they're, they're very well done. Uh, I don't have a lot more to say here, but it, it's very out of character for me. And it must mean that this record is very good. Interesting turn of events. Yeah. Interesting turn of events. Wow. Do I have the War on Drugs record on my list? Could be number one. See. Stay tuned for more after this. Commercial. Stay tuned. <laughs> uh, my number four record is from an artist who is a multiple time former number one. Ooh. Yeah. This record was hailed as a double record, and it was a perfect example of it didn't need to be a double record. <laughs> and that is. Jesse Mallon, Sad and Beautiful World. Actually, I need to double check that that's the name of the record and not just the single because I got confused. But this is this is a great record. Not as good as the previous record that was produced by Lucinda Williams, but he definitely tapped into something uh, really visceral and really uh, heartfelt about this record. But if you know every all of his previous records have a moment of. There's a little bit of that that gritty Lower East Side punk rock angst that comes through his singer-songwriter thing that is a formula that I have uh, <laughs> ripped off, tried to emulate. He doesn't really do that on this record. It's very subdued for him, but uh, a great record nonetheless. That's my number four, the new Jesse Mallon record. I'm looking forward to listening to that one, too. And it is called Sad and Beautiful World. Yes, I got that right. All right, Richie, we're in our top three. Hit us with your number three. All right, so my number three, I would actually say this would have been the number one record of 2020 if it had come out last year. Um, it didn't. For those who don't know, uh, Mandy Moore was my number one record from last year. What was that? One more time? It was Mandy Moore. I cannot oh, Mandy Moore. the record. Um, you, may, you may have enjoyed her, her takes on the Tangled soundtrack, but... Uh... Wait until you hear her 2020 masterpiece. Her divorce. <laughs> yeah. Opus. Wait till you hear Mandy Moore spill her divorce over 12 lovable songs. No, but that record, that last, Richie's, because I guess I, uh, Mike Viola, the guy who wrote uh, that thing you do, worked on a number of great singer-songwriter records. He produced that Mandy Moore record. So I vouch for that record, but still. Rich, that was aggression that was aside. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This this is this was the like happy feel good record of the year. Some of the songs, I, actually, I'd kind of say this is from the band that's like the Adam Sandler of music. They put out music every eighteen months or so. Most of it's not very good, but every few you know every few times, twice a decade, they have something that's really good. Uh, the band is Weezer. The record is okay human. And oh, one of the wow. things that's really great about it is some of their songs are just really stupid. Like talking about the songs they listened on audible.com. But then next to those are very heartfelt songs, just straight heart on your sleeve. 
super catchy and just uh, in, infectious. And their hook this time is it's Weezer with an orchestra. And so that that conceit works in a way that wasn't overdone. Was there also a Weezer doing Van Halen songs? This that was the second too? record that came out. Yes. You know, I don't like to give you credit for anything, but I'll give you I'll give you that Weezer is is the musical Adam Sandler. Well played. Very prolific. Yes. Uh, huh. A little irritating, but prolific. Yeah, interesting. I I'll give that record a listen. I, I have to. Oh, I guess I have to if it's on Rich's list. It's yeah. about yeah. thirty minutes, Jeff. It's not. It's not as long a commitment as the Wallflowers. No, I'm no. I'm looking forward to the Wallflowers record. I didn't know there was a new Wallflowers record. I'm very much looking forward to that. The Weezer. Yeah. I don't Weezer and looking forward. Those words never go together in a <laughs> sentence for me. Uh, Paul, what is your number three? Sure, my three, my top three make a big jump. I think from the rest of the list. I I thought that these two really, these three really stood out. Uh, my number three is Julian Baker's Little Oblivions, which. I could I probably listened to the most this year out of anything because it came out earlier in the year. But these are much fuller songs and are on some of her records. But I think even some of the most like stripped down songs on this record are probably my my favorite. But uh, she's incredible. Um, I'd love to see her live at some point in life. Um, I'm excited to see where she goes from here and what her next record is going to sound like. Um, but yeah. This is an this is a really great record. Yeah, that is a great record. My number three is by the band that had last year's number one for me. That band is Creeper. They had another new record this year, a little shorter, obviously, called American Noir. And I think this is them graduating out of the My Chemical Romance camp of sound and capturing something that's more their own with some nice classic rock elements to it. The female uh, keyboardist, I believe is what she plays. She sings a lot more on this little record too. So is it still vampire music? It is still vampire music, but it is very, very, very good. Rich, you got any vampire music on your list this year? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is, um, you know, it's weird. Like, this is a a band that, like, when I think my only association with them is here, like, living back in Lancaster. So, it's even though I haven't done much publicly in the last two years, like, all of my memories from this band are here. So it's, it's kind of a rooted band because I tend to think of artists and records and these list that we do every fucking year like very geographically like where was i what plane ride was i on when i discovered you know all this well, you go to shit. a lot more places than most people did asterisks next to did yeah. right um but yes so richie with that we go to our number two i am very very excited to see what you've got so my number two was a band that ann and i discovered going to reykjavik a few years ago they're from there um the band is called Kaleo. The album is called Surface Sounds. They are basically trying to be the next Black Keys. Their first record was very, like, just trying to play the dirtiest Southern rock that you could find. And this record is more subtle. There's more sort of emotional t- 
tension, much better songwriting. It feels less goofy. Um, and just, I think what makes this fun is I didn't know that the ceil- this, the band had this much of a ceiling. We had seen them play their last album and it was, you know, it was fine. It wasn't a bad show, but I don't know that I was going to go back, but hearing them kind of take this leap is just so much fun to know that they have this. So. Excellent. Excellent. Is, that a, is that a two person band? Uh, I think it's four or five. I think okay. it's a four band. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number dose. Number dose. This uh, this year and last year, a ton of screamo, scrams, whatever you want to call that genre. Great records came out. Um, this is probably my favorite of this year for sure. A band from Rhode Island called Dream Well. The record's called Modern Grotesque. I want someone to put this record on vinyl. Someone could could easily sell a good number of copies of this record, I feel. But uh, I don't know much about this band, but this is an incredible record from, from start to finish. A lot of these records to me don't, they're either really short or they don't, they kind of lose some steam or their second half's better. This record is, is good from the beginning to the end and was my number one for probably the first half of the year. Um, so that's dream. Well, modern grotesque. Wow. Yeah. They're not very popular. That's kind no. of a deep dive for you. How did well, you discover them? I mean, when I say I, they're not popular for those that I'm just looking on their social media, they just, no, they're not. They, and they haven't yeah. pushed this record very hard in a way. And, and maybe if it had been a better climate for touring, they would have toured it really hard. I don't even know if they're touring right now or even, it's possible that they're not even a band right now, but uh, I don't I'm sure I saw it on Brooklyn Vegan or Winter probably told me about it or something. That's usually where I get information about records like this. So uh, I don't want to give Dave Winter credit where he doesn't deserve it, but maybe he deserves it here. Nice, nice. All right. In 2002, in the fall of 2002, so 19 years ago, I was doing a lot of driving between Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. on a bi-weekly basis. And by bi-weekly, I mean twice a week, not every other week. Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> in a Volkswagen Jetta. And I would stop at the Best Buy in Wilmington, Delaware, every week, or every trip, rather, and spend 10 bucks on a CD. Just take a chance on something. And one of the things I took a chance on perfectly captured the post 9-11 fog that was America. Flash forward 19 years, and that same artist is back with what I think is her most, her finest moment since that 2002 record. And I realized that in the past 19 years or so, there's been a lot of records, but they've kind of all gotten lost in the wilderness for me. But the new Tori Amos record called Ocean to Ocean perfectly encapsulates rich the, do you feel vindicated oh this man <laughs> no, no, just for the record i would rub your nose in that for years and jeff would say it's been it's been like three or four years you can stop now and so now i've got another five years to run this i'd talk to richie and i'd be like hey you ready to do list and he'd be like yeah you know jeff just gonna pick fucking tori amos as his number one. <laughs> oh, well man, i didn't I she's dead. not my number one but um, this record is is more refined, which helps, but also it's the way that she can capture 
the malaise, the fog, the dystopia after a cataclysmic cultural happening like 9-11 or like the pandemic or 2020 in general. I mean, the number of the songs she said are actually about the January 6th uh, insurrection terrorist event. So it's it's deep. When she's trying to be like ephemeral or like mercurial or even sexy, I ain't there. But when she's trying to find resolution in a tragedy, I'm there. I'm tapped in. So Ocean to Ocean by Tori Amos, my number two. Wow. All right, Rich, I have a prediction that I'm going to keep to myself for you, but I'm, I'm excited. All right. This number one record, dun, dun, I, dun. I have to say, I can't remember the last time I had a number one record that was number one after the first listen. I listened to it, and it was the pace car the whole way. Probably the... the uh, I was walking in England. I was walking in England and I heard this song and it was so good. I had to go in and sit down and take a breath. It was Block Party. They were tremendous. (laughs) My ears had never heard rock combinations in this way. (laughs) Yeah, when you first heard Silent Alarm by Block Party, you told us that story because I think you heard it when you were abroad, maybe. Or, yeah. I had to sit down, Jeffy. It was just too intense. I was in San Francisco when I was listening to the record. Yes, yes, but yes, point well taken. Um, The number one record is The Killers, Pressure Machine. Uh, What I love about this record is that it's exactly the opposite of what anyone who likes The Killers is looking for. It's not super catchy. It's not anthemic. It's kind of sad and tragic at points. Um, I think it also has some incredibly strong... Um, songwriting much more than I thought frankly that they had possible and just the way that they're able to take such anodyne phrases and and pack so much meaning into them um, yeah I mean it's 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 emotionally exhausting at times getting through it but just just absolutely spectacular can't wait to see them live again killers can you wait for, for them to tell you that this record actually wasn't any good in two years? How do you feel about that? <laughs> I would be the guy yelling for them to play these songs. Like, they're yeah, playing like, Mr. Brightside. Like, play Cody! And they'd be like, who is this clown <laughs> requesting these wow. songs that we wrote? Wow, Richie. I like I like that record, too. I'm quite surprised at that. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Paul, hit us with your number one. Got it. So I listened to probably more music this year than I have in the past. It's the nature of always being around. I don't put a lot of stock in this, but those Spotify year in review things are really funny because if you have a, a small child, they probably look something like mine where it's like, this year you listened to Portrayal of Guilt's Christ Fucker and My Little Ponies, The New Generation. It's like, oh yeah, I did do that. Usually within like the first, it's like, it's like 15 seconds apart, you know? It's like, oh yeah, I, yeah. I would have listened to both of those in the span of an hour probably. Um, all of that being said, and Rich, I'm probably going to have to fight you about this because I already have heard your entire list and this record is not on it. I usually am fine with other people having different number ones of my own. In my mind, there is really only one number one record this year, and I think it should be number one on everyone's list because it's that much better than anything else. Turnstile, Glow On, it's the best record this year, last year, any year. The band is incredible. 
uh, if you haven't watched the the two Baltimore shows that are on on YouTube for the the record releases, you should watch them. This band was always around in Baltimore. They always kind of like took care of people, did cool stuff for the city. Um, and it's awesome to see them blowing up. This record is really accessible to a lot of different styles. They've toured with a lot of different artists already. I just want to see it get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think it, it can. Um, it's such a sweet record. The drum parts are crazy on it. It's like go-go beats all over it. It's like nice. there's so much interesting stuff going on on this record. So, Rich, wow. you're wrong. Jeff, I don't think it's probably on your list either. You're wrong. This is the number one record. All right. It's interesting that you say that because I feel as if we we have something happening now that has never happened. Normally, our number ones are, I think they've only ever been in unison once. I think oh, it was a Larry Arms record, I think. It was maybe. a Larry Arms record, maybe. Or it was, uh, did you have American Idiot as number one as well in 2004? I don't think so. Okay. I think Richie did. I too. No, Richie, no, he had it at two because of uh, those the Montreal uh, family hipster band. Uh, what, what were they called again? Oh, yeah, New York Campfire. But I cannot recall, uh, I cannot recall a year where I felt like people were either so drastically pulled to one record or the other for being their number one record of the year. And it's interesting that you both landed on these pillars like it there's there's no middle ground it's like the islands of relevancy here are the killers and turnstile right and it's it's kind of an interesting thing and i think the story of 2021 music for people who are like us who dabble a little bit in mainstream but we're primarily focused on underground but like we don't let that limit us you know what i mean um i i think we're going to look back at this year as those two records being the the pillars and how could they not they're both great records with that said i think i'm about to announce something historic yes quite historic never before in the history of this list have i shared a number one with mr richie el nino fucking nino Um, and this year is the fucking year pressure machine by the killers it's no. not even a question. It's, a it's question. not even a question. I'm questioning. It is not even, this is a generational defining record. This no. is a geographically brilliant record. This is a opus. This is the markings of the new Springsteen, the new Bowie, Flowers. He's up there, man. He's made himself top tier. This record is a career solidifying record. I would argue that it might be their best record. It's certainly their most different. And if people like them for the the danciness and sounding like they're from Sheffield, England, then this record ain't for you. But if you like the songwriting, if you like the vibe of the desert and of the desolation that they have tried to capture in all of their records, but you like it with a darker hue, this record is your record. I can't get through this record without crying. I cannot get through this record without having an emotional reaction. It it speaks to the opioid uh, crisis. It speaks to uh, Trumpism. It speaks to the diaspora in the general in, in the culture war. And and Rich is right. I had to look up the word that he said anodyne, <laughs> Mister SAT over here. I didn't fucking know what that word meant, but it's true. He's 
Flowers is able to take something that is so subtle and essentially basic and make it have uh, more gravitas and, and merit and heavier meaning than anybody else in the game right now. Taking nothing away from turnstile. That mm, is a great taking record. Taking it all. They're number but one. In taking nothing They're away from belt. them, I have They're to take everything belt. away. It's the killer's pressure machine. Mr. Ritchie, I shake your hand virtually, my friend. Damn it. Yeah. Wow. So I'm weird. surprised. I, Richie, I, I had to bite my lip when you said that was your number one record. I That was not expected. That was not expected. Crushed. I'm crushed over here. They don't even respectfully agree to disagree. You're going to file a formal complaint? <laughs> file a formal complaint. I'd like to speak to your managers. <laughs> I will say, though, nobody's doing, doing what Turnstile is doing. Nobody's ever done that. Like there, There's a streak of originality to what they're doing that's like undeniable. But at the same time, like I don't know. It's There's a little bit of like a juvenile sense to it. That It's kind of a turnoff for me. Damn. Not even on your list? Disrespect. Not even, not even on the list. Such disrespect. Not even on the list. Richie, I got to ask, was Pressure Machine, you said it was like essentially number one with a bullet, but what's, what's, I want you to dive deeper on this record because we, out, we outnumber Paul now, so it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> <laughs> but hit us, I'm curious, hit us with some more thoughts. So I'm trying to find the name of the of the song, but they some of the lyrics they have, I have I have one written down. Am I the man of your desire or just the guy from your hometown? Uh, are these the arms that you saw when you pictured yourself wrapped around? Like there's those are fairly basic lyrics, but in the way that the record presents those and the instrumentation and just the, the moodiness of it, it feels so profound and so deep and in a way that almost feels like you're stuck in quicksand. Like the killers are a band that made it, you know, like they're huge. You, you know, I remember you couldn't walk, uh, you know, into a gap or anywhere to just without hearing Mr. Brightside. So they don't need to write this record, but the fact that they did and spoke to something uh, very, very deeply, I, I was very touched by it. And then I also feel like maybe you might disagree with me on this. I feel like there's a there's a Green Day warning to it, right? That no one wants, none of the Killers fans are asking for this record. They want to just, they just want to hear the hooks, right? And so the fact that they put this out there, I think I... I appreciate that they're willing to take that chance. That's like your black belt. It's like, now I grant you, there's a there's a tinge of Green Day warning. Like every three or four years, you're like, oh, this record has a tinge of Green Day warning. And it's like, oh, yes, I now knight you a tinge of Green Day warning. Yeah, yeah but here's, here's the significance no. behind such an accolade, Paul, Mm-mm. is that you go from a band that releases records that essentially all have the same aesthetic to establishing yourself as a band that can be diverse and will be a a generationally transitional band. That's the difference between green day and all American rejects or all time low or newfound glory. Like that's because they make a record like that, that sticks and is good enough to uh, have a, a cultural appreciation that grows with time. 
So maybe, or is it just categorically that every killer's record is probably the music that it's playing when you walk into a gap? It's not because if you go back and you dive in, the people that like this record, the Pressure Machine, I would say most of them. If you say like, "Oh, what records did you like before that?" They're going to say fucking Sam's Town because Sam's Town had that that element of Americana and that element of Springsteen and that uh, the the dancey was number two to the rock, which was number one. This is a rock record. It's just more along the lines of an, a simplistic approach it's more uh it's more uh nebraska than the river if that makes sense so the thing like i think this is essentially them you know planting their flag in in the uh the canon of, of great american music you know last year they put out a record last year called imploding the mirage that was a typical not an atypical it was a typical killer's record and I thought it was boring. I thought it was really boring. And they were hyping it up. This is the best record we've done in years. The last one that Jeff Berman loved is shit, blah, blah, blah. So when they were putting <laughs> this one together, I was like, I was like, great. Like, yeah, they're just going to, you know, that, that interview, I think it was in, uh, it was either the New York Times or I think it was the Times. But it just left such a bad taste in my mouth. So I went into this with really low expectations, but it was immediately melted into my chair. So I... And, and something to be said, I know, Paul, you because you lived in that part of the country, and Richie, you've traveled around that part of the country too, but like that desolate northern Nevada, uh, southern uh, Utah, essentially all the way uh, across Utah to the, to the western slope of the Rockies, and that, that vast nothingness where these little pockets exist – like he he's from one of those towns so he captures it really well but like it resounds with me it, it reminds me of the town that i grew up in uh it, it reminds me of uh towns that we've toured through towns that we've driven through and you know that's that that's that's what i want like i, I it's it's like a uh, i think i said to richie at some point it's like reading a uh like a cormac mccarthy record like if, if Cormac McCarthy made a record, it's like that's how this is described um, or laid out lyrically, and and the the bed of music that's there just is a perfect match for it. So it's timeless. I don't know if you're gonna love that Turnstile record in five years, but I I think I that Richie and I were, are still gonna love this record. If I don't, I'll lie about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> wrong. All right. Well, we got I shit will. to talk off the record, but. Two of my best friends, Mr. Richie El Nino Canino, Mr. Paul Martin Cavallari. Paul Martin, big head Cavallari. Um, he's not a big head because he has an ego, folks. He just has an actual large uh, cranium. Look at that beanie. It's, it's just about to pop off. It, it won't you can't even, even, can't even with, withhold. Can't even. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for being on the podcast, and, and uh, thanks for helping me share what we normally do in you know a closed-door session, You know, Joint Chiefs of Staff here. <laughs> taking, t- taking time off to do, to do it in a public forum so thanks Break for doing it <laughs> and there you have it for those keeping track at home the breakdown was Paul chose Turnstile and Rich and I chose The Killers so as I said in the onset of this podcast episode that this was the year of Turnstile and The Killers I think this safely squarely and definitively declares that 2021 
was the year of the killers pressure machine fantastic record obviously shout out to turnstile and everybody who very vocally defended the turnstile record on all of my social media platforms that's a great record but someone's gotta have you know that silver medal second place and that goes to turnstile if you disagree or you have records that you want to share please email me the berman hour at gmail.com thanks for tuning in i'll be back next week with some more interviews about my new record and some fun stuff so thanks y'all for tuning in thanks for participating and i'll talk to everyone soon let's get